Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. Hi, this is Greg Kilstrom. Welcome to Season 3 of The Agile World, where we discuss customer and employee experience, organizational and workforce transformation, and how business can adapt and continually improve in an Agile age. The Agile World Podcast is brought to you by Tech Systems, an industry leader in full-stack technology services, talent services, and real-world application. For more information, go to techsystems.com. To read more about the topics discussed in this show, you can go to my website at theagile.world and read my latest articles or get a copy of my latest book, The Agile Workforce, now available on Amazon and other retailers. My name is Greg Kilstrom, and I'm the host of the Agile World Podcast. Today, we're going to talk about the sometimes unseen power of invention. Often, inventors and creators of new ideas and products have a vision in mind, but don't always see the full value of what they've created until sometime later, or with the help of some outside perspective. My guest today has quite a list of accomplishments. He's the inventor of noise-canceling headphones during his time at Bose. He worked with Apple to create the Apple new product process, which is still used in their product divisions and has worked with many household names, such as Amazon, Cisco, IBM, HP, Fitbit, and more. He has also written a book called Innovate Products Faster, Graphical Tools for Accelerating Product Development. I'd like to welcome John Carter, principal at TC Gen. Uh, first, uh, why don't you uh, tell us a little bit about what you do in your role, and, and welcome to the show. Well, thanks for asking, Greg, and I'm glad to be here. Uh, what what I do is mainly work with companies that are trying to improve either innovation or uh, velocity in their product development activities, typically working with uh, larger teams, although I work with startups all the way to, to large uh, global brands that you've mentioned. And the thing about it that I love is I love working with engineers. I have that technical background. And at the same time, I understand business. And so I try and if you will, help companies bridge the gap between, if you will, the technology and the market and help them succeed. That's great. Well, yeah, looking, looking forward to have a, having a conversation here. So let's, let's start with um, the topic of invention and, and uh, understanding the value of an idea. Uh, can you talk a little bit about your time at Bose and uh, you know, why did you start working on the noise-canceling headphones? Well, uh, it's, it's uh, kind of a, a story with twists and turns. I started, <laughs> uh, uh, I actually went to MIT because Dr. Bose was a professor there and I wanted to study with him. And during that time, I, I got to work with him as my thesis advisor and helped him with his courses. Uh, after leaving MIT, I immediately joined the Bose um, corporation and began as a research engineer. And we started on two projects, Greg, if you can believe it. I was focused on uh, essentially a program to make speakers sound better and a program to make headphones sound better. Mm -hmm. And I think we're going to come back to this uh, further on in our discussions. But uh, one of the things I learned early on is focus. And I was making much more progress in the headphone sound 
um, experimental activities than I was in the speaker area. And so I had a conversation with Dr. Bose and we totally dropped the speaker research and focused 100% on the headphones. And that lesson of focus and picking something and really, uh, if you will, bearing down on it, uh, obviously paid fruit, uh, it paid us back in, in terms yeah. of a fruitful product. So making choices and sticking with them was uh, the idea. And, and actually it started um, with a, a truly a napkin sketch. Wow. <laughs> wow. An actual napkin. That's, that's great. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I, that's a little exaggeration. <laughs> used to, uh, he's deceased now, but when I worked with him, he would get a ream of copier paper, eight and a half by 11 white paper. <laughs> nice, and nice. He, he would do all of his work on sheets and sheets and sheets of papers with complex formula and derivations on it. And it was just on one of those scribbled pieces of paper that the, their, the idea emerged that we started working on together. Wow, that's great. Well, yeah, uh, talk a little bit more about the the innovation process for creating the the noise canceling headphones. When we talked earlier, um, you you mentioned that you know, you knew you were onto something, but it not necessarily what you know what the the value proposition didn't end up necessarily being what you originally thought it was. So, what's you know talk a little bit about that process and and what did you learn from it? Well, a, a couple of things, and, and th these might be useful to, to your listeners, is uh, even though Bose at the time was medium-sized or now fairly large, uh, they dedicated 10% of their product activities to innovation. So I don't know, let's say they spent $10 million a year. They would actually devote $1 million out of that or more to work on innovations just like this. And so... One of the things that uh, Dr. Bose really established was kind of a investment in innovation. And, and it was very broad, very broad. Uh, I was one of maybe eight people or 10 people working on different research projects. And what happened is I mentioned we had this idea which was sketched out in primitive form and I tried it in two weeks, I got it working at very, very primitive. Um, and I put it on my head wow, this really can make headphones sound better. And so I, I uh, demonstrated to, to Dr. Bose, I timidly put the contraption on his head and turned it on, hoping it wouldn't <laughs> squeal or react in a bad way. And he smiled. And we thought we're really onto something. But what we discovered, Greg, is that we actually didn't know what we were onto. We thought we were inventing a, a product or a concept that would make headphones sound better, more bass and easier to fit and so forth, lower distortion, all these sound attributes. But when we talked to customers, we realized that wasn't the real important part of the innovation. It actually was noise reduction. And we knew of that, but we didn't focus on it. And we spent a lot of time uh, before we showed it to early uh, prototypes to customers optimizing sound only to realize that the real value was in its ability to reduce noise. Seems obvious at this time, it wasn't then. And yeah. the, the striking thing for me is Dr. Bose and I knew more about this technology than anyone in the world at the time. 
And wow. we did not guess the right ultimate use and benefit of the product. We were the inventors. And Dr. Bose has a great market sense. But we, we got feedback and we, we listened. Yeah, that's uh, yeah, that's fascinating because yeah, we just we just take for granted that uh, you know isn't I mean it's they're they're a great invention, but you assume that it was intentional from the very beginning, and that's 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 amazing. So, and on this point, Greg, I learned many times that actually the inventors come up with an, uh, a a solution, and it has you know primary benefits A, B, and C, and secondary benefits D, E, and F. Oftentimes. When you share it with customers, it turns out it's innovation F. It's not yeah. the primary, but in fact, it's the secondary. So this is one thing that's kind of surprising about innovation is, is you really never know until you, you show it to customers. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's great. Well, yeah, switching gears a little bit, um, you know, I'm, I'm a big fan and, and big user of Apple and, and their products. I, you know, I'm looking at my, um, uh, Apple laptop, have my iPhone next to me, so on and so forth. Their record of success obviously has been consistent from just about every aspect you can measure. Um, when you're, you know, in, in working with Apple, why was it important for them to create uh, the standardized process that you worked with them on? And, and how did creating that Apple new product process help the company achieve more success? Well, it's a great question. And obviously, they're really um, the benchmark in terms of product innovation, or one of one of many, but certainly in the consumer space is, is very much uh, recognized for that. Um, the challenge uh, at Apple was uh, that basically they were scaling. So they were growing quickly. And uh, they had branched out in product activities. I started in the computer division. And they were working on their laptop line and their desktop line. And, and um, they, they actually were trying to do, instead of, let's say, one laptop and, and one desktop, they're trying to do three at the same time of each. So they went from essentially two product activities to six or something like that scale. They really were growing. And the challenge was, is the teams were repeating mistakes. It's okay to make a mistake one time. It's not okay to make it a second time. And one of the great things about Agile is, is retrospectives. So if you look at a, a, an activity, a sprint or, or a release plan, and then you look at what went well and what went wrong, you obviously identify uh, areas for improvement. Well, what we did is we looked across their product activities and kind of aggregated the opportunities uh, for improvement. And we thought that having a very lightweight, standardized process, kind of a hybrid between Agile and Waterfall, was the, was the best way to go to prevent repeating mistakes and allowing them to, to scale. And it's really funny, kind of like the headphone story where we, we started with... Uh, the belief that it was uh, headphone performance and sound, and then came to realize that it was actually noise reduction. In the case of Apple and working with them, I started focusing on metrics, you know, kind of measuring yeah. things like backlogs and, and so forth. And it turned out, well, that wasn't their root cause. That would only highlight it. But actually, we looked more fundamentally at, at what they're trying to achieve. And what, what we 
we actually did together was create this lightweight architecture or system, if you will, for scaling products. And we kept it very, very simple. And one of the things that this is going to astound you, but when you're trying to do things with multiple teams, it is insanely important that you call similar things by the same name. Mm, yeah. And when different teams, you know, this is true in, in estimating and when doing relative sizing on agile teams or estimation or, or any other kind of deliveries, whether they be demos. Well, if you have one team using one metal model for a demo and another using another, you can't compare the, these two teams and, and put them on a level playing field. And so what we focused on, this will kind of is shocking, and we got pushback until it really proved itself, is we actually measured the use of certain terms. Hmm. And believe it or not, as summarized in kind of aggregate status updates across 50 or 60 programs, they were fairly large at the, at the time. What we found out is that we saw people were using the right names for their sprints and, and release planning uh, milestones. But in fact, they, they, at some point, the metric, the usage actually started dropping after we did all the training. And we, we did a root cause analysis of why aren't teams using the same words for things in the same way. It's crazy. You would think that'd be so trivial. Well, the problem was we didn't train the right people. We trained the engineers and product people, but we didn't train uh, um, those people that actually coordinated release plans. You know, they were, kind of, they were in a yeah. way lower level and off to the side. They, they weren't lower level, but we didn't include them in the, the original training. Well, we did a rapid turnaround, actually adjusted our, our uh, transformation um, attempts and efforts and got those people trained and the metric took off. And just as soon as people were calling the same things by the same name to mean the same things to everybody across the programs, we went on to our next uh, next goal. But it's so important in organizations that are trying to grow and scale to call things the same way. So everybody has a common definition. People often argue about the words, the names themselves, but that it's, it's right. really what they mean. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, that's 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 interesting, and I mean, I, yeah, I would imagine that a you know any at a large organization that, um, yeah, the 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 waste and and simply confusion is probably um, bad enough, let alone the the other the other costs there. Um, one, you know, speaking of Apple, um, Steve Jobs was famous for his his views on not wanting to rely too much on on focus groups while creating new products. I know you've talked a bit about how customers can really contribute uh, towards understanding the the value and, and some of the innovative aspects of uh, and where to focus. How does how do those two things kind of um, you know because there there's a bit of there's a there's a bit of a paradox there, I guess you could say. But you know how how do you kind of reconcile those two things? Uh, the difference is the, the difference between capital I innovation and small case I innovation, gotcha. and that is that when Steve Jobs is talking or when he talked about not using focus groups or relying on them, 
he was really talking about the breakthrough ideas. For example, the iPod player or the iPhone or the, the iPad, their tablets, or many of the other things they've implemented with iTunes moving to Apple Music, et cetera. These are innovations with a capital I that your customers actually couldn't tell you about because they, they don't exist or they wouldn't have ever imagined them to, to be in the real world. And so it's this unbridled imagination. That was true of Dr. Bose as well. Um, so it combined their product, incredible product instincts along with their market sensing ability to solve problems that people didn't know existed. And you can't use a focus group to help you, help you there. On the other hand, and this is where I think it, it, it actually is a misperception, is that um, Apple and other great brands use focus groups or similar research methods to help with the small I innovations or what we might call improvements. In other words, looking at uh, various options, let's say configuration in terms of looking at your iPhone, like uh, how much storage should you have on it or how, how fast should it be or how many cameras, et cetera. And so those are choices when you've got an existing product in an existing marketplace uh, people don't need their imagination to give the organization feedback. And so it's really, it, it's kind of a blunt overstatement to say that uh, they don't use or rely too much on focus groups. It's really looking at where they use um, uh, insights from their customers. And it's, it's in the, the kind of the choices that they make in terms of configurations or details around the product, but not the innovation. That's great. Yeah, that, that, that's great to have that clarification from and, you know, obviously, if someone who's worked with those with, uh, you know, with those teams at, at Apple and, and uh, yeah, that's, that's a, that's a good, um, good perspective to have, because it's, you know, certainly you want to get that feedback, but, um, but, but yeah, no, that's, that's, that's a great and, and I think that is one of those that maybe that's the downside of, of, um, Googling for quotes and ideas and stuff is things, things tend to be, um, either, uh, summarized broadly or potentially misconstrued and, and stuff. So that's, that's, that's a good, that's a good clarification there. Yeah. And a, a really good thing for your listeners to know about is something called conjoint analysis. And, uh, we didn't explore that, uh, specifically at, at Apple, but I have with many other companies. And conjoint analysis will actually tell you how much a consumer will pay for, let's say, added storage. You know, is it worth $100? Is it worth $200? Uh, and how would they trade off better storage for better cameras, say? So there are some really great techniques that are out there that can give you insights in terms of configurations or smaller changes besides uh, focus groups. I just thought your listeners yeah. might, might want to know about that one. That's great. Well, yeah, let's uh, let's talk about a, a, another one of the companies you've worked with, Mozilla, um, where you've worked with them to create an internal innovation center. Uh, why is it important to create something like this? I mean, obviously, Mozilla, lots of tech startups, uh, they're thought of as innovative from the start. Uh, how does stressing innovation in such a direct way improve the company's direction? Well, um, I think there are three three important elements of, of this the first is 
it helps frame an investment. In other words, we believe in innovation. Of course, we innovation comes from all areas, but we're talking about creating innovations that really might be transformational. So it, it frames how much do you want to invest in transformational innovation, i.e., let's say a new technology to existing customers or uh, yeah. new customers existing or new, new, both new markets, new customers, and new technologies. And so it frames an investment. The second thing it does is it provides a protected space. And by this, I mean uh, essentially an organization which we created, which was virtual. We basically uh, looked at uh, messaging through Slack and other channels and, and gave them a reprieve on the normal corporate uh, flow of conversation so that they could focus. And also we gave them freedom in terms of rigid schedules. They didn't have to follow that. So we created a protected space, both virtually and with fewer rules. And the third thing we could do and would be useful for any of your listeners is it, it kind of ensures that your inventive ideas are aligned with your mission. You know, oftentimes people come up, your employees come up with really great ideas, but you can't use them. And so this, this third element uh, really helps ensure that you align these bigger bets, the riskier bets, with, with the mission and strategy of the company. Yeah, yeah. What would your, uh, for those that don't necessarily have the budgets of Mozilla, Apple, uh, any of the other companies um, of, the, of that kind, how would you recommend that they do something similar? You know, how do they, how do they foster innovation within and, and to build better products? Yeah, well, this is, uh, I, I think, a very reasonable question. For example, how does a small organization of, let's say, five or six people deal with this kind of uh, situation. And obviously you can't have a big research team or research budget, but nevertheless, innovation is very important to you. I, I think that the most important thing is that um, you have to really understand that innovation requires focus. And if you really want to be successful, you have to be able to have at least one person have this as their number one priority. It doesn't mean that they can't work on other things at the same time, but it does mean that either they've got space in projects uh, that would uh, give them some time available, or they uh, uh, can, let's say, push back some discretionary ideas, but it's really important to have focus. And at small companies, it's hard, because you know you only have a handful of people. But what you can do is if you've got an idea that aligns with your business, that could be transformative, that would move the needle in terms of revenue or profit margin, then it's a tough decision because it means that you're not going to do something is actually to focus, uh, focus your uh, resources on one thing. Don't do many things. And I'm not talking about small I innovation. I think that's great. Everybody should have ideas and suggestions and people should incrementally improve all the time. But if, if smaller organizations really want to make a difference in terms of something transformative, simply verify that it's aligned with your strategy. You can use it. Secondarily, will it move the needle? Is it worth carving out a little resource for it? And third, make it someone's job 
number one. They're number one, but not only priority. And that's how I think smaller companies can actually use some of these lessons. That's great. Well, uh, one last question before we wrap up. Um, where do you look for inspiration in creating new ideas, processes, ways to enable organizations to achieve greater success? Uh, that's a, a $64,000 question. Uh, one <laughs> thing that, um, that I would recommend is um, a podcast uh, on, strictly on innovation called Killer Innovations. Uh, where Phil McKinney, the former CTO of HP, interviews a lot of different executives in different situations, specifically on the uh, innovation podcast. So in addition to your own, I'd recommend that. And secondarily, what I would also do, and this is more internal, but I think it applies equally everywhere, is to really view innovations as very fragile. And so when people have ideas that come up to you and think that they might want to endeavor to work on them, it's really important to give them space and time to do, do that. And it's, you know, Jonathan Ives at uh, Apple said this, you know, uh, inventions are very, very fragile and you have to be very careful and nurture them. And so I think it's important that you know, organizations look out and they can look at some great innovation resources out um, in the podcast world and secondarily to really treasure what they've got and nurture those fragile ideas. Thanks. That's, that's great. Well, John, thanks so much for joining the show. Uh, for those listening, what's the best way for them to keep up with what you're doing? Well, I think you can uh, come to our website, tcgen.com. And you can find out a lot of rich material. We've got a lot of content as well as useful tools and hints and templates that uh, teams can use to improve innovation and, and move faster. Wonderful. Well, again, I'd like to thank John Carter, principal at TC Gen, for joining the show. Uh, thanks for listening to the Agile World with Greg Kilstrom. See you next week. Thanks again for listening to the Agile World podcast brought to you by Tech Systems. I'm your host, Greg Kilstrom. If you enjoyed the show, please take a minute to subscribe on your podcast channel of choice and leave us a rating so that others can find the show more easily. You can learn more and get a copy of my latest book, The Agile Workforce, from my website at theagile.world.